How do we start this? Uh, I don't know. How do people normally start this? I don't know. Welcome to my podcast. Okay, well, let's try that. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you think you should redo this or? <laughs> no, I think it's good. Okay. All right. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. It is another Monday morning and I am with you all again. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, it is just me today. Taylor is off fucking living it up in Vegas for her birthday because she's now old. So it is just me today. So I apologize for that. Okay, so today I'm interviewing a very good old friend of mine who's been working in the dog industry for 10 years, give or take. And she is now owns her own business. She lives in Victoria and she is a professional dog walker, pack handler, and she is one of my dog's favorite humans in the whole world. Hi, Sarah. Hi. I like that you say your dogs as if you don't have five of them. But honestly, (laughs) even if I'm just one of their favorites, I've made it. So I'm happy. Exactly. No, you are Shelby's, you, Chris, and is below Guinness for sure. (laughs) But yeah, you and Chris are Shelby's like top five easily people if not top one above me <laughs> if i do nothing else in life except that i've succeeded <laughs> i can die tomorrow <laughs> that's hilarious okay so why don't you tell us a little bit about where you started in the dog industry how you got to where you are what you do now give your company a little plug i think everyone would love to hear about what you do so yeah i've just been a dog lover my whole life and then when i was in university i obviously couldn't have a dog so I asked a company in Ontario. So I asked the company if I could volunteer for them part-time, and I made my classes around being able to walk dogs. And then she said, no, don't volunteer. Just work for me whenever you can. And then it ended up being the greatest thing ever. So I ended up taking like all online courses or night classes just so I could work for her full-time. I ended up working for her for four or five years and just absolutely loved it. But then... I moved to BC and I thought I should probably do something with the education I got, which don't bother. (laughs) Dogs are where it's at. Don't worry about, well, I mean, I guess if you want to be rich, don't go into dogs. But if you're passionate about dogs, go into dogs. (laughs) But yeah, so I came out here and then for the last few years, I've been working for someone else. And I just realized that that's just where my heart is. I absolutely love the outdoors. I love the dogs. And so as of October, I decided to start my own company and it's been the greatest decision I've ever made for my mental health and just for life itself. Based in the West Shore and my company is called Once Upon a Trail and I just do off-leash adventure hikes. Uh, I find that that's what I like most. On-leash can be great for some people, but I like the pack life. The pack life is definitely the life for me. You should get a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> <laughs> You imply I don't have one. <laughs> the dogs can't read, though, so they don't really appreciate it. Wait, the dogs can't read? What are you doing with your time? And honestly, I've recently found out that they don't speak English. Recently? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the old age. I'm forgetting things. Maybe once upon a time I knew that they didn't speak English. I mean, this is supposed to be an educational podcast, and I'm really glad you came on. Because <laughs> I think you can really bring some good insight into this. <laughs> you guys are absolutely screwed. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so that's great. You have so much experience and you must have met so many different dogs and so many different packs over the years. Do you find that the pack really does make the walk? How much is it truly about the energy, like how the dogs are getting along? Are there dogs that don't benefit from pack walks because they simply don't fit in? How do you find balancing the energy and how did you learn that over the course of your career? I think having a foundation behind them, like I require that a dog has excellent recall because all you need is one dog to go find a deer and bring all other dogs with it and then your day is ruined. So uh, having recall is definitely the biggest foundation I find. You can teach a lot of other things like leash manners. You can teach them about even just like getting in the van is a process. Like I understand it's got to be so strange for a dog who, first off, some of them have never been in a vehicle. Second, some of them have only been in a vehicle to go to like medical appointments. When I'm this like stranger with a stinky minivan showing up, like it's an abduction. So I understand that like it's definitely like a learning curve for them to be like, okay, like this is this is a cool soccer mom car. It's not just a creepy van. Like it's it's actually a good thing to go with strangers and vans. You said that there's no children in your target audience, right? Because that is not a message for humans. This is just <laughs> for dogs that <laughs> so your parents have hired me. Do not get in a stranger's van. But I do encourage my clients' dogs to get into my van. But yeah, honestly, just like I've been very, very lucky with the dogs that I have. And you can be as picky as you want as well, like as a business owner. Like if you don't want to deal with any reactivity, like you can have that as a big no-no. But I found that there are some dogs that are only nervous reactive or like if you don't put them in a situation that they are reactive to. And like that's just a lot of that is just owner communication with me then I, you can avoid a lot of reactivity. Like, for example, some dogs are resource guarders. So if I'm giving out treats to the pack, then I'm not going to stick a treat in free dog's faces and just hope for the best. Like you have to be smart. And honestly, you spend so much time with the dogs that you get to know them so well that you just will learn. And like some owners have never seen reactivity. And then all of a sudden, the dog cares so much about that one stick in the forest. And then it's open communication and you, you kind of live and you learn. So I've been, I've been really lucky that like all of my dogs have a training background and or like the client is super open to constructive criticism or at least like I can be honest with the owners where some people I wouldn't want to hear it about my dog. But at the same time, I would say rather know and then work on something. And people are so receptive to that as opposed to thinking that their dog ships glitter and rainbows. So. I'm pretty lucky with my clients, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. So you do take quote unquote reactive dogs. Are there dogs that you, are there red flags that you absolutely won't take? Not even just because you don't want to deal with it because that won't benefit the dog. I avoid reactive as a rule of thumb. Like if someone says their dog's reactive because either they're going to be reactive to humans, which I love having a respectful run-in with people in the forest, especially when you have a pack. Like it just changes the whole dynamic if, a dog is going to go out of its way to angrily greet a human and stuff like that. So I do avoid that kind of reactivity. Or if they're dog reactive, then that's a no-no for me because safety over everything. And I can promise you there'll be dogs there. So I don't take reactive dogs. But it's more if they are situationally reactive because that is something I have a bit of control over. Or you just you understand dog body language and you can avoid so many issues. And a lot of that is just through life experience. Nothing's ever going to be perfect, but uh, yeah, honestly, just living and learning <laughs> is really the key to success with dogs. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Like Taylor and I were saying this the other week, like it's definitely not like anything in the dog industry is not a university career. It's not like, oh, what college did you went, go to? You know, oh, you went to like Cambridge oh, for dogs. Okay, what program is that for one? And B, like, doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Like, I think it really is about experience and getting that like field time, quote unquote, or forest time <laughs> for in your case. So I think that that is absolutely true. I do get asked a question quite a lot because I do have quite a lot of puppy clients. And a lot of the time I get asked, like, is my dog old enough for pack hikes? What is your insight into how old a dog should be physically and mentally in order to take on and be able to emotionally deal with, in a mature way, the energy of a pack hike? Because I used to do pack hiking. And of course, like every different pack setup is a little bit different. And like there is a different experiences and there's different ways that you can set it up. But in general, the energy will be higher. Some of the dogs can't take it, right? Like especially some of the younger dogs. So what is your insight into if someone has a puppy, when should they start pack training? Like if they're interested in getting them out with a dog walker, like how do you see their best route to success in starting that journey? I see it as almost less of an age thing versus being intact when it comes to like, if I had to say like a specific month that a dog should start pack training. But honestly, from the time you get them at eight weeks, like pack training includes recall. It includes healthy socializing. Like one of the biggest problems I find with a lot of off-leash dogs is that people have that thing in their brain where my dog's friendly, so it's fine. I'm like, yeah, me as a dog person, having your adorable puppy run up to me is great. But I've had older people who don't like dogs, or just in general, people who are intimidated by dogs. And yeah, your dog is adorable, but not everybody wants it in its face. So just teaching your dog boundaries is pack training. So I can't say that there's like an actual month that a dog is prepared, because I've had seven-year-old dogs who still have to learn not to jump on a dog's back, which is like a puppy trait or like bite the ears or just things like that, where of course, like puppy energy is high, but I've definitely seen a senior pity with the most high energy I've ever had, but like the recalls there. So it's, yeah, I find like it's just less of an age thing, more of a almost, almost a maturity thing. And also just intact males can give off Oh, the bad vibes. Some like no problems at all. And also just like intact females. Like it's not fun for them either if they're just like predator and prey. <laughs> I do not want to like that is not that type of walk. We are not into that kind of this is not an orgy, okay? <laughs> this is a pack. I'm sorry, your your podcast is cancelled right away. <laughs> it's like one episode with me and I said dog orgy. <laughs> No, I love it. Our viewership is going to like triple. <laughs> we did say this podcast is not necessarily kid safe. If uh, any of your young humans are asking what uh, dog orgy is, please email onceuponatrail at gmail.com. <laughs> I'm changing my name right now. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, yeah. So that's definitely very interesting. So it's kind of more of a where they are in the training than where they are in their maturing, so to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if a dog has started with you, obviously there is a adjustment period where they maybe never gone out with a pack before or they are new or they they're still getting used to the routine. They're still getting used to the dynamic. They're still getting used to the setup and coming in and out of the van, what you're like and with the other dogs and all of these kind of things. Where do you find you can draw the line between something that you can actively work through and something that's just straight up a red flag and it isn't good for you, all the dogs included, if that dog is involved, if that makes sense? Like, where do you cap it? We need to work through this rather than this isn't good for us. 
I think there is a huge difference between aggression and nervous reactivity. So if a dog is just obviously uncomfortable, they're going to give signs. Oftentimes, it'll be like they just need a little bit of space or they just need a little bit of comfort, anything like that, versus them going out of their way to be aggressive to either me or a pack member. And I don't work with aggression. And I've got so many people that in my life, you, for example, and Taylor, of course, that do training. That's a trainer's job where I'm a dog walker. So I don't get me wrong. I, I love training my clients while we're working together, but I'm not teaching them not to be aggressive. I'm not teaching them these foundations. I'm practicing the foundations they already have. I'm always working on recall, always working on leash skills, working on their socialization skills. We're constantly working on something. I love structure, but I'm not paid what a trainer is paid for the aggressive side of things. And also, like I said, like it's safety first for me with my clients every single time. And I don't ever want to put, especially like I've got sensitive dogs that it wouldn't take much for them to not want to come with me again because like this dog was mean to them. It's like it's like kindergarten, right? Like if, they're, if you're going to get bullied, you don't want to go back. So aggression is definitely one of the things that I draw a line with. If a dog took off and like had no interest in me, that would be another thing because I will die at the age of 32 of stress. If a dog leaves my sight to never come back. Like that is, I don't even want to put those words out into the world, but it's just things like that. Like I need reliable recall because I am a stressor. And that's one of the reasons honestly that I love packs is because they like to shadow what the other dogs are doing. So if all the other dogs are coming back, that's the most exciting thing. So all the dogs come back. Like it's definitely kind of a cheat sheet because dogs like packs. Why are they called dog packs? Like it's, it's what they are naturally drawn to. So I find that it's definitely just easier having a pack. But as soon as you have that one bad egg, it can totally throw off the energy of everybody. But honestly, I have been so, so, so lucky that my, I haven't had any of those issues in my own personal business so far. But now that I've said that out loud, tomorrow's hike is going to be a shit show. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize in advance for cursing you. That's okay. I've got GPS I will find you. <laughs> yeah, so that she brings up like another good point. So you have, with your business, you set up all of the dogs with GPS trackers. Um, why? Why do you do this? What do you? What is the true importance of this? Like, explain a little bit about your motivators behind that. Obviously, it is really good that the dogs have it, and I think that really gives owners a lot of security. But I think people don't fully appreciate how important it is to have GPS collars for everybody looking to hire a dog walker. If they have GPS collars as a system, as part of their program, that is an excellent, excellent trait. And that is something that I would personally look for. And my dogs don't even really take off again tomorrow. They're going to leave. But I think that yeah, if you could give a little insight on truly like the importance of that, not even only from a business perspective, but just from a from an owner perspective, from a dog perspective, and just giving you that confidence that you know where all of your dogs are at. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. Like that's the perfect words for why I have GPS. It's confidence because I do trust that all of my clients have good recall, but shit happens. Like I've had, like we've been hiking before, like right near construction sites, and there's blasting, and a dog gets scared. So at the very least, I know exactly where they are. And like, I try and train all my dogs that if anything happens, go back to the van. And so that's what they'll do. Like I'd say 90% of the time, instead of just running around scared 
into the middle of nowhere, at least they are going back to the van. I know where they are. And so on GPS, you can see whether they're still in movement. You can tell what direction they're going in. And then you can tell when they stop. And even just like situations like injuries, like if a dog isn't coming back and I'm not seeing it, I can pull up the GPS and see whether they're making any effort to come back to me or if they're stuck somewhere. Like it's just the best thing for confidence, just that because the best dog can be behind a tree and I can't see it, but it's ignoring me because it's feasting on a dead deer carcass. Sorry for the gore, but that's, that's dog life, baby. But like, it's just, it's just good to know at all times where that dog is and being able to head in the right direction. If I do need to actually go retrieve the dog, as opposed to me running around blind, I could be walking six kilometers away from where that dog's going. The dog's looking for me in the other direction and we're just getting further and further apart. I don't have that problem. I know where that dog is. I know how to get to them. And it's just, yeah, it's such peace of mind. And we live in wildlife country too. So I can't outrun deer. Like I might be fast. I haven't <laughs> tested it. If you want to have a sprint <laughs> with me one day, we can. But either way, I still think a deer would win. So yeah, just maybe. Yeah, at least I know. Yeah. Uh, now the next deer I see is on my doggy tongue. You're gonna see a crazy story about this wild woman in Victoria trying to outrun the deer in Oak Bay. <laughs> like get out of my car next time I see one and just start sprinting. That's hilarious. I would literally cut that out of the newspaper and frame it and le- keep it for life if that was you racing a deer in any kind of a capacity. <laughs> I appreciate you calling it a race as if I would stay in any chance and not just be like a psychopath, like a kilometer behind this poor animal. <laughs> That's a really good point. I hadn't even thought of it, which now makes me sound stupid. I hadn't even thought about it from a medical perspective where it's like, that is a really good thing to know because it's like you can be calling your dog and calling your dog, but if they're not listening, there's two options, right? At the end of the day, it's either they're being a dick or something <laughs> is holding them up. <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah. it's really good to be able to tell the difference because you don't want to be rooming up on a dog, let's say on an e-collar, when the dog is literally like, I'm trying! <laughs> I'm stuck. Exactly. Honestly, it, it does. It makes a huge difference. And I'm a stressed person anyway. So as soon as the dog's out of sight, I'm like, that's it. They're dead. <laughs> Back to death, people. <laughs> I promise I'm fine. <laughs> I'm not fine. Speaking of equipment and GPS collars and gear, what is your opinion on e-collars and how you use them and what they can be useful for? Do you use them in your packs? Is it something that you encourage owners to use? We were talking last week, just between Taylor and I, we were saying that we're having a lot of the opinions that are coming through, um, like on the training side of things, is that a dog that is not e-collar trained is not going to be ever 100% reliable off-leash. Even the most reliable dogs, sometimes, you know, if you, like you said, like if you see a deer or if you see a car or, or you know, or, or whatever is going on in that dog's brain in that time, is there something that can get through to them? And is that the e-collar? And without that, can you have full reliability off-leash? What are your thoughts on that? I do love e-collars, but I don't believe that they work for every dog. There's certain dogs that I have that are just so sensitive that I actually think it would deter them rather than be a training tool. Where like for my own dogs, like I've got two shepherd mixes and it's great for them. It is perfect. I have to use it probably 2% of the time, if that, and all I have to do is vibrate and that's it. And it's, well, it's kind of the same as with the GPS. Like it gives me a boost of confidence because once again, like that deer, like I, I'm not more exciting than that deer running, even if I'm the one chasing it. 
it gives them accountability. So it does. I don't have to be within arm's length, which is the only way you can stop it really, other than like having reliable recall. But the dogs will be dogs. So I do think that e-collars are an awesome tool when used properly. But I honestly, like, I used to be super against them, but I didn't know anything about them. I saw them as a shock collar because that's what everyone calls them and that they were only used as a punishment, which is honestly never the case. If you're punishing your dog with an e-collar, you don't deserve to have a dog. A lot of e-collars have a tone. Like you can just use a sound. And that, especially for hunting dogs, that is the perfect thing to distract them from whatever they're fixated on. Use that tone. And like I said, like mine have vibrates. That, like, it's your phone going off in your pocket. That is not a punishment, but it's a distraction. And it is a means to an end. It's the same as rewarding your dog with a treat. It's distracting them from something, a negative thing that they're doing. And I've honestly seen e-callers used in a life or death situation. And that sounds dramatic, but try a herding dog with a pack of deer in front of them. And the only thing between them is a four-lane highway. If the only way that you can get that dog back is by yelling at them and hoping that a treat is more rewarding than some fresh deer meat, good luck, honey. But yet your dog is a hood ornament. And it is so sad to me that there's not a lot of education about it because I do think that a lot of lives could be saved. And honestly, a lot of lost dogs could be found. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Like I said, like there's some dogs that it just wouldn't work for or that I personally just don't agree with an e-collar. But there's always just going to be different, like training your dog one way or another. Like my shepherds, I have to be so stern. And it scares the shit out of people sometimes when I'm like, hey, here. Like it's top of my lungs, short, quick. Where other dogs, I have to be like, come here, baby pumpkin. Come here, my little lovey bug. There's this one dog. I love him so much. But if I use his full name, he's like, I'm in trouble. There's no freaking way I'm going over to her. But if I call him little baby wiggle butt, he'll be at my side in a second. It's all tone of voice. So it's it's the same as that where like there's some dogs where the commands short, stern, other ones where you have to just like throw fairies in their direction when they're happy. But it's the same with training with dogs. And e-collars are training tools. They are not punishment as long as they're used properly. And every dog that I have that has their own e-collar has been through e-collar training. And that is the biggest difference. Yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think it is really interesting as well to say like not one size fits all because I totally agree. I think that it is a matter of finding what works for that dog. It isn't just like slapping a principle on them and they're expecting it's going to turn out the same way every single time. Um, also, I do have a question. Is that dog that if you call his full name, is that full name Guinness Thor Gaffney? <laughs> <laughs> you know the business. If I middle name that dog, oh my God. It's not the same when you say Coco Beans. I've actually had to switch her middle name to Shithead because I'm never going to scream Coco Bean. Get over here. It's actually Coco Shithead Boyco. Get over here. Spit that poop out. Get over here now. Oh, glamorous life of dog walking. (laughs) Sarah's dogs, Guinness and Coco, are like my sixth and seventh children. And uh, (laughs) I have looked after them many times. And uh, Guinness is her OG, her true son. She loves him more than Chris. Sorry, Chris. He has a middle name. It's Guinness Thor Gaffney. 
And if he has done anything even slightly bad, even though he is a perfect angel baby, 99% of the time, if you say, Guinness Thor Gaffney, he's like, oh, what do you need? Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And he gets so shepherdy guilty about it, even if it wasn't him that screwed up. Yeah, seriously. That's the thing is like, Guinness is so perfect that you'll trust him. And then he decides that the one piece of plastic in the recycling bin needed to be brought over to his bed. And then he will lie on the ground like a floor mat and look at you like he has killed your entire family. Like he is devastated at what he's done. And same with he's a little thief. And you know when he's a thief on our hikes because he'll all of a sudden start walking perfectly in a heel with a little extra bounce in his step. And I look at him and I'm like, what is happening? And I say this because it's happened multiple times, but somehow he always finds a ball. We could be like three hours deep in the forest and he'll find a ball. And I know that he's stolen it because I didn't bring it in there. And it's, he'll all of a sudden be like, okay, we're ready to go home. I'm walking in a heel. Let's go. Nothing weird happening. I'm looking at his mouth. It's wide open. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I feel so bad for one of the parks near our house that we walk at night because I have at least like six of these stolen balls. Oh, actually, I might have just got my son arrested. Oh my God, he would not last long in jail. <laughs> I love the boy, but he would not. <laughs> Coco, on the other hand. <laughs> oh yeah, no, she would run that jail real quick. Yeah, Coco is a learning curve for me because she has a brain. And I wasn't wasn't used to that because Guinness has one surviving brain cell. And honestly, like saying you have an entire brain cell is a compliment because I'm not sure it's whole. <laughs> it's not doing well. But I mean, she is my soul dog, but he's not the brightest bulb in the tanning bed. No, but he is the prettiest and the funniest and the best in general. <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't trade him for $3 million. <laughs> Actually, we was having a conversation with Chris and I don't know if you and Kyle do the same thing where he'll be like, what would you do if there was a home invasion and you could only save me or Guinness? I was like, I'm going to hurt your feelings. And like, <laughs> if, you, if it's ever between you and Guinness, like, you know where it's going to go. And he's like, okay, but what's the price that if someone says, I will pay you this, Guinness is yours. And I was like, I can tell you that there is no amount of money that someone could give me that I would give a dog up for. Which is like $50 billion. I was like, no. And he's like, you can go and murder this person after. I was like, oh, so now I don't have my dog and I'm a murderer. Anyways, <laughs> I don't think these are conversations that healthy human have, but this is literally like last night or the night before that we had like a three hour conversation about this. And then somehow, yeah, like I told Chris, his feelings would be hurt and they were. But just for everybody listening, Chris and Sarah are to be married this summer at a beautiful ceremony that I am very excited about, Part mostly because I get to walk Guinness down the aisle and then get very, very drunk. But yes, these people are to be married, but they have... They have <laughs> so, it's, it's a good, healthy relationship. It might not sound like it, but it is. <laughs> it's only healthy because he knows his place. <laughs> <laughs> like any healthy relationship, the boundaries are clear. You're second to the dog, but that still says a lot because the dog is a very, very prized possession. Guinness is also just like a special sweet soul. I feel like he's he's one of the like special ones and not in like a, <laughs> not the sharpest tool way, but. <laughs> he's a very, very special boy, but he also, he is. He's one of the most unique dogs I've ever met. And that's, it could be biased, but I've also just met a lot of dogs. So I can genuinely, he's definitely one of the most interesting. And one of the most interesting things about him is actually his relationship with Shelby. 
Shelby likes her space. She's very dominant is the wrong word, but it kind of is the right word for like, she's a control freak. Like everything yep. has to be on her terms. But she is biggest S-L-U-T for Guinness. I'm not joking. Like instantly on her back, just whining away, singing the song of her people, kicking Guinness in the face. And he's like, I don't really understand what's happening, but I love you too. Yeah, I think Guinness is truly is above me and Kyle for Shelby. Like (laughs) she loves him so much. And I don't know where this love began because yeah, like obviously like my dogs and your dogs have to love each other. But at the same time, it's like, we were never like, you guys have to be best friends. If anything, we were like, Coco and Shelby need to be best friends. Not Guinness. Guinness and Whiskey are already best friends. But no, somehow the Guinness-Shelby love thing that happens. I have never seen, like, Shelby doesn't behave that way in front of anyone, even us. Like, we could be coming home for war. And she don't give no two fucks about <laughs> us. In comparison, is as if Guinness had come back from war or even back from the grocery store, let's say. No, Guinness beats all. And she is a complete slutty pile of love for him. <laughs> and she wants to be inside of his skin. And so, yeah, and that is the only dog she will really do that for. It's good for our relationship, though, because when you moved to Kelowna, we we're like, yeah, we'll miss each other. But like, we aren't very like sappy people. We're not. We have to talk every day for it to be a strong relationship. We do well with the once in a while chats. It's like we've never been apart, but we were like, like Guinness and Shelby don't understand FaceTime. So (laughs) we're going to have to get together. So it has been really good that we have been consistent with being able to see each other because it's, it's the forbidden love affair. They have to see each other. It really is. Like I was on the island this weekend and I saw Chris and uh, Sarah with Guinness and Coco and they came to visit us at our trial. And I think that was honestly the best part of Shelby's year. Like my dogs have great lives and they do things every single day. But no, it could not compare to Shelby seeing you guys. And then on top of that Guinness in that lunch break, she is obsessed. Like she loves it. And I love that for her because that's the only relationship that she has like that where I'm like, you love him. Like everyone else, Shelby's like either neutral doesn't really care or like I'm going to be a bitch. So the fact that she has Guinness makes me very, very happy because I'm like, okay, she has Guinness. It's fine. She has Guinness. <laughs> it's one of my greatest fears in life that she's going to forget that we are besties. So <laughs> we will always make appearances in Shelby's life just so that she can climb me like a tree and scream in my ear. And because well, like, like, you're right. Like she's so alert for other people or other dogs. And like, even Coco, she's like, no, I could do without you. I don't care. Like, unless I can lie on top of you, like, where uh, you don't really matter to me. You just get between me and your brother. Literally, that's why we have to do greeting separately, because it's like, okay, you're gonna, like, you're not really a big fan of Coco, even though we literally got you to be best friends with Coco. Like, no, you just, you're obsessed with Guinness. And it's like, of course. And she practices her shiny lower lip to be like Guinness. She's got her, like, little beard hairs. And she's just, it's her favorite thing ever to be inside Guinness's mouth. So our dogs lead a slightly pornographic relationship, but I am really glad they have it. <laughs> well, it's also just funny because, like you said, like, it was supposed to be Coco and Shelby that were besties. Because Whiskey and Guinness are besties. And Whiskey and Guinness are why we met in the first place. Because... Flo had just moved to the island with Kyle and just had whiskey at the time. And Chris and I were out hiking Guinness. And all of a sudden, this fiery ball of 
dog came out of nowhere and gave Guinness. Actually, you know what? He might have had two brain cells at the time. And then Whiskey removed one of the brain cells. But, like, he just full speed ran into him, knocked into a rock, and popped up right away and was like, uh, did we just become best friends? <laughs> and Shlaw was, like, in the background, mortified, like, Whiskey, come! And I just look at Chris, look back, I'm like, did she just say Whiskey? And then she's like, who's this dog that my dog just gave a concussion to? I was like, well, this is Guinness. And we're just like, look at each other. We're like, yeah, that's my type of human. (laughs) (laughs) Your dog is named after an alcohol. My dog is named after an alcohol. Should we get drinks? (laughs) Yeah. And they were also both like 100 pounds, just big boys with us like young at the time. Girls. (laughs) it It was, yeah, it was a friendship that was just, it was very like serendipitous that we just happened to be there at the same time and we both have a problem with alcohol. <laughs> Hopefully none of my clients are listening to this and thinking that I'm promoting dog orgies and alcoholism and strangers' vans. Come out with me on Monday. <laughs> yeah. Put the nail in my own coffin. But you know what? It is what it is. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. I remember when that day because I was absolutely mortified. I was like, oh my god, my dog just slammed. I mean, to be fair, I'm so, so thankful that Guinness was not some tiny little woodly doodly thing that Whiskey threw into the lake. Like he, like Whiskey and Guinness are pretty much of a size. Like they would play in the same weight class. And I was like, oh, thank God he's big, but also like, are you okay? And do you like, and then you were yelling Guinness. And I was like, oh my god, Kyle. Kyle, I think their dog's name is Guinness. Like, that's an alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and our first ever hangout was going for drinks. I think the boys were both trying to impress each other. But then when Kyle said, what do you have on drought or something like that? Drought's the opposite of what you're looking for in your cup there. I think you're looking for a draft. Maybe you want something <laughs> as opposed to a water shortage. We had like an episode with Taylor and I last week and we were talking about like when Taylor met Kyle. And it's like, it sounds like it's just the funniest thing because the first thing he said to her was, do you like cats? And Taylor notoriously hates everything. So (laughs) that's the first thing. And that's the memory that has stuck with Taylor. And that's a memory that was shared publicly. And now this one where it's just like, he just gets words confused. I swear, Kyle is actually a very intelligent (laughs) human being. He just has some very, some hilarious first impressions with people that I am continuing to learn and find hilarious. And I just treasure and I will bring it up to him again and be like, hey, you thirsty? (laughs) I also think his like second sense to us was like, we make soap. Or like we make candles. It was something like that where it was like I was in like it was almost implying that you guys like had this like business or something. There you guys like make candles or so turned out it was like a one time event for your birthday that he had like taken you to go make soap or candles or something and it like he was just so proud of the fact that you guys had done it that he implied that that's just something you guys do regularly and that maybe you like profit off of. Where I was like, So he loves drought and I uh, runs his own like body works company i'm not really i'm a little confused but it's cool <laughs> oh my god that's hilarious oh geez yeah no just to clarify we don't and have never run our own <laughs> candle making or any such type although i do kind of we did we went to candle making once and it was really fun but i don't know if i would choose it as a career choice i cannot speak for kyle though to be fair could you do like a dog scented candle company we're like, honestly, the only selling one would be the Rhodesian Ridgeback because they'll be nice. They'll smell like 
sunshine. Luxury. It'll be a royal smell. But if it smells like Guinness, you would just want to like lock your house and set the whole thing on fire. To be fair though, if we made a Guinness candle, this is going to sound like strange after that description, but I would 100% buy each room of my house a Guinness candle because it would just be the happiest, like most joyful thing to have a Guinness candle, even if it did smell like fish farts. It would help you sleep at night because there would be like no racing thoughts. There would just be no thoughts at all. <laughs> it could just smell like tennis ball. Oh, that could be the name of it. Tennis ball. I think that, that you have kind of a diamond in the rough situation for a business idea. And I think you should branch off <laughs> and, and create it. <laughs> I don't know if fish farts is a selling fragrance. Definitely a smelling fragrance. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now we've kind of talked about how we set up pack dynamic, kind of how you sort it out, how you go about picking the dogs for your pack, how you go about handling that energy. Do you find that there are some themes as far as breeds go? Because we've had a few different questions about like, well, my dog is a herding dog. Like, is that going to have is is that dog going to have a difficulty in a pack dynamic because they're going to want to herd the whole time? Or my dog is a working dog. It's going to be the energy is going to be too chaotic. Or my dog is overwhelmed easily or other breeds or specific traits that you find generally do go well and mesh in you know in general kind of labs do well or in general so and so don't do as well or don't benefit as much do you find that there are common traits or do you really do think that it is about the training it is about the pre-work it is about that kind of work that the owner puts in before they even see you that truly reflect in that dog on the pack i definitely think it's more nurture versus nature but also just have a lot of experience with different breeds so i know the struggles i'm going to have with like a headstrong breed where like yeah that will cause its own complications but it's just how you deal with it and it's the same with dogs that are like very sensitive like you just learn how to work with each breed and honestly somehow they all mesh well together breeds will be breeds knowing the breed is your biggest key to success where if I know it's a super stubborn breed or a very smart breed and it's not something where I can just like pull out a treat and the dog will do anything for me. Like the, the cheat sheet labs is treats where like there's a lot of other dogs that need just like they have other needs that need to be met. Like if a super smart dog's going on my hikes, I can't do the same trail every day. They're going to be bored. They're going to go further. And the same, like you said, like the herding dogs, like if there's chaotic energy, they are going to feel the need to herd and so I try and keep chaos to a minimum and same with like my the working breeds like Taylor used to walk King Shepherd that she passed out to me when she stopped walking and he he's super lovely first of all he's extremely well trained but he's this 120 pound baby who I always say that he's a shark because he'll circle me and then if like the energy gets crazy he'll like go like police them but he's, he has very good boundaries where he won't do anything about it but you can just see that he gets a little overwhelmed where he's like oh Sarah they're getting a little crazy and so you like run over to them and run back to me and like you can just see when in his brain he's like okay I have a job to do I need to calm everyone down but it's just learning like it's just knowing that that's what he's like and also like getting to know him so well over the hikes knowing like how far he'll take it where like there are a lot of things where like a dog like that, if they get overwhelmed, sometimes it could be reactive where like, thankfully, he's very trusting that like you'll put him in a safe position or that you'll end the chaos and he doesn't need to. But yeah, I definitely think that like each breed brings 
something different to the table. And knowing those breeds is definitely going to help you a lot as a dog walker. Just knowing the dogs that will never leave your site or the ones that you need to be more sensitive about, like if there's a loud noise or if something happens or things like that. And that they're always the first ones for me to leash up, especially if I'm hiking near that construction zone. Like if there's a blast, I know my sensitive breeds, I'm putting on leash just in case they decide that like that was just a little too scary. I can't say that there's like a specific breed that I've had a lot of issues with, but I do find that doodles are such a fad. And everybody loves doodles because people get them because they're hypoallergenic. They're the cool thing. They don't shed. But people don't realize that the oodle part of it is a poodle and they are incredibly smart. And it's getting mixed with a golden or a lab, which is lovely, but that's not incredibly smart. (laughs) But you don't know what you're going to get with a doodle. And I find that people get them because they're hypoallergenic as opposed to training them to their full potential. Because I've met some of the loveliest doodles and they're so well-behaved. So then other people won't train the doodles because like, obviously they can be reactive, but they're not typically reactive. And people are like, oh, but they're cute. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. So I have, I think it's also just because there's just so many of them, but I have found that with doodles, uh, sometimes I don't get a red flag that goes up. I just get a yellow flag just because it's just so common. And I think people just think like it's a good family dog. So that's the ending of what we need to do with our dog as opposed to just training it to its full potential and having it be a reliable, well-socialized dog. Totally. I think that that like actually marks on quite a good point. Like we assume doodles are one of those, like you said, fad breeds. One of the current fashionable things that people get, you know, you get a, I met a woodle the other day, which is Sweet and Terrier Poodle. And then there's golden doodles and then there's F2 golden doodles, which I think is a golden doodle and a, like it's a second generation golden doodle. So, and then there's labradoodles and all of these different doodles. It's almost the new golden retriever. It's almost like this is the new family dog. But I think people, like you said, discredit the poodle in that. And again, sometimes it's like these dogs are lovely. These dogs are great. Like this is a lovely, sweet dog. Like I know multiple doodles that are absolutely lovely. I saw two today that both of them was an Aussie doodle and a golden doodle. And they're wonderful. They're fantastic. They have like their little quirks, but they're great dogs. And I think, but then there's sometimes there's that assumption that regardless of what you do as an owner, your dog will be okay. And I think that especially if you do want your dog to go out on pack hikes and to be more social and to have these kind of dog interactions and to be able to have that outlet and that exercise, I think that there is a certain amount of training that goes into it that is maybe not 100% required for every dog walker, but I think it should be. Like, I think it's what you said. It's like all of your dogs are trained. All of your dogs have those good foundations. And I think that for people who are looking to get their dogs out on the trails and getting that dog walker, A, it's really important to find the right walker. It's really important to find someone that aligns with your values and that's going to keep up with your training and have someone that is competent and just confident in what they do and how their handling is with multiple different types of dogs and people who have that knowledge. And with doodles in particular, I think there's a certain, obviously I'm generalizing here, as like I said, like we've met multiple great doodle people. I think that there is that 
assumption that they're going to be good regardless. And I think that that is where people will slip up a little bit or or at least kind of have those regrets later on where they're like, okay, well, now I have these issues, even if they're not big ones that I assumed wouldn't be a thing. And therefore, I, I almost made it a thing by assuming that it wouldn't be, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, a lot of dogs that get over-socialized as puppies are the ones that are super dog reactive later. And it's not, it's not any hate against doodles. It's just, again, people thinking that they can get any dog and not have to train it because I believe that every single dog needs training. And I think there's a lot of pressure on like the bully breed owners and dogs that are like Malinois, like things like that, that get a bad rep that those people will climb mountains to make sure that their dog is like above and beyond the best behaved dog. And honestly, I, absolutely love pit bulls more than any other breed. I have never met a pit bull that I haven't fallen head over heels with because they are the laziest little house pit bulls in the entire world. If I had to pick a dog that people would treat like doodles where like they don't require a lot of training, pities. <laughs> like they are the sweetest, laziest little butts in the entire world. I think a lot of people like it's like I was saying earlier where it's like that I'm friendly, the dog's friendly. They're not worried about it where every dog needs training and just because it's a doodle and it's cute doesn't mean you get you should skip this part and also a well-trained dog is the best thing for an owner it's the best thing for every person that dog encounters like you're only screwing yourself over really if you're not making sure that your dog is set up for success sarah and i are both shepherd owners and i think we almost get I'm going to speak for both of us here. Please feel free to tell me that I'm wrong. But I almost feel like we get the opposite end of the scale where it's like we can do this, that, and the other to make sure our dogs are well-behaved, but our dogs are always going to be the bigger ones in the quote-unquote fight, the bigger ones in the park, the bigger ones on the street, and they're shepherds, right? So people almost have that pre-assumed oh, it's not going to be fine, as is with doodles. It's like, oh, it's going to be fine, it's a doodle. But actually with dogs like shepherds and pitties would be another great example where it's like you almost, as strangers, would assume the worst of someone's dog if they are one of these more, I don't know, intense, quote-unquote, frowned-upon breeds where it's like actually often the people who get these kind of dogs are people who are going to put in extra work or who are going to be like, you know what, I have a shepherd and I'm going to fucking own it, right? Rather than like kind of being on the lazier side but I think it kind of works two ways if that kind of makes sense so you have two shepherds like do you find that you've had to deal with stigma as far as owning these kind of big quote-unquote scary looking dogs or do you find that you have been able to find the balance quite nicely about people not stereotyping no I definitely have had people cross the street every single day that I'm hiking the dogs in the neighborhood and like I get it if people are scared of dogs but a lot of it is like smaller dog owners who literally will pick their dog up if my dogs are walking by. Like my dog won't be interested in your dog and also are not reactive, but it's because they're large. And also like Coco does look more shepherd than whatever she's mixed with. But definitely I felt a lot of pressure to make sure that they were extremely friendly, like not vocal at all. Like it's obviously what I want from a dog anyways, but I do think that other people could have got away with it. But because I've got the big boys, like it's, it's definitely something I've noticed. And we, we've been to parks before where people would be like, make sure your big dog's on leash. Or like even a couple of times with my pack hikes, we'll run into hikers. And every time what I'll do is bushwhack, leash up, let them pass. And I have had multiple times 
have the person yell at me, tell me that I shouldn't have so many big dogs or things like that. But like the big dogs who were sitting right next to me quietly on leash, as opposed to if I had had a small dog that was swarming up to you, you'd be fine with that. Like it just doesn't make a lot of sense why the big dogs get so much hate or like, I don't want to use the word discrimination because it's not, from my experience, I haven't been to that level, but it's just a lot of like fear-based that big dogs mean bad dogs where I have found it the polar opposite. Like I, I would kiss a mastiff on the mouth, but I'm not putting my face anywhere near your chihuahua. <laughs> Get a free nose job from that chihuahua. <laughs> no, I, I think it's that, that there's definitely like validity in what you're saying. We're not saying by any means that like all doodle owners are less aware or all shepherd owners are more aware. There are a variety of different owners in every single breed. And I think it's kind of you get the hand that you are given and you have to kind of deal with it how you will. And I think the way that p- different people deal with it, I think there are different expectations. Um, obviously, we are kind of crossing into more risque territory with this conversation but I think it is really important that people are more open that just because you have a bully breed doesn't mean you necessarily have a bad dog it's like you said big dog doesn't mean bad dog and I think that that is really important Taylor and I were talking about it last week as well where it's like you know she has to muzzle her dogs quite a bit and she believes very highly in muzzle training it's not necessarily because her dogs are aggressive or they they are scary or any of those things but she does them for a variety of reasons but she finds that when she does muzzle them she gets immediately put in this box of oh okay careful like that's an aggressive dog like oh like you know careful and and that energy change I think then affects the dog as well so I think that it all kinds of goes into being like educated and just kind of dealing with your own and making sure that your own dogs are good so that well like cheaply that you're not the liable one but also that you're going to create that nice calm space for other people to then enter your space or pass you on the street or in a in a dog park or on a pack hike or anything like that i think it is kind of take care of your own and then look to you know help yourself first put your life vest on first before you help your kid or whatever right And I think that that is where the crux of the matter is, is just people find so many issues and how other people do things where it's like you should really just be kind of focusing in and seeing how you could improve. And I feel like it is becoming more that way, but it is that is truly the way to just end the stigma both ways and just create more acceptance and more communication and more openness to like, oh, you do things this way. Okay, I respect that. I respect your space. Like, okay, what do you need? Like, how can I help you with your dog in this moment as a fellow dog owner? You know, does it mean giving you more space on the street? Does it mean not looking your dog in the eye? Like, let me know, communicate that to me so that we can create more success for everybody involved. But you're right. It's about education. Like, seeing a muzzle as a dog professional, I see responsibility. I don't know why your dog has a muzzle, but point blank, muzzle means responsible, in my opinion. I've had dogs that are muzzled just because they can't stop eating weed. It could be as simple as that. Like It's literally just the dog has had THC intoxication and the parents are just sick of having their dog be in an emergency state. Like It's just not fun. So they muzzle their dogs. Where I do think that a lot of people see muggles as aggression, which, yeah, it could be, but why not? Like you said, make yourself less liable if anything happens. Set your dog up for success so that they don't feel the need to have to protect themselves or save themselves or whatever. And then back to the previous point about like the small dog thing. I'm not saying that obviously like all small dogs are aggressive, like especially like some of my favorite dogs are 
mini wiener dog. But I think there's also just a big difference between being able to remove your dog from the situation by lifting your five-pound dog up. Like, if I tried to lift my wolfhound shepherd up, like, girl, my back will never recover. Like, I can't just remove him from a situation by throwing him over my shoulder. The fireman's hold. Like, it's just different standards, different stigmas that come with the size, the breed, the tools. Like, I know a lot of people who think e-collars are Satanism. There is nothing worse you could do than an e-collar. Where I think that if I could have a conversation with you and actually teach you something, and you would be open-minded, like I said, does not work for every dog. But I think that education would just change the dog view of things. That change a person's view of dogs. <laughs> no, I agree. I think it comes down to education and also just acceptance. Like accepting that people have different ways of dealing with it. And, you know, like your dog could have, you know, A, B, and C issues and you're dealing with it the best that you can. They might be different from my dog's A, B, and C issues. And I might be dealing with it differently than you, but there's that acceptance that needs to come more to the forefront where we just need to be like, you know what? You do you at the end of the day. Like you just make sure that you're advocating for your dog and you're setting them best up for success and you're doing the best that you can. And for whatever you use your dog for, I mean, there's different requirements for pet dogs than there are for sport dogs. And that doesn't necessarily mean that those dogs are badly behaved, but the expectation is different, right? So the training then will then reflect that. And I think, I mean, I get this question a lot where it's like, should I take my dog to the dog park? And I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of variables that come with that decision, right? But then there's some dogs that, yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to burn energy. Like if you trust the dogs in your neighborhood and you kind of know that your dog will go see, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry at the park and they have a great time, like why the hell not? Like that's great. But if you have, let's say a working dog and you're like, I want to do sports or I want to do, I want to build drive and I want to do, or I have a protection dog or whatever the things I'd be like fuck no stay out of the dog park like your dog is literally gonna screw shit up for your dog you and the people around you and the dogs in the park you know so I think that there are different expectations and that people need to kind of accept that more that different people will do different things and that not one size fits all and what might work for you might not work for someone else like what you said about the e-collar it's like you know if you think that it doesn't work for every dog it's like the owners of those different dogs need to accept that and be more respectful and less, well, you know, you if you're not doing it my way, you know? Well, I know people hate this comparison, but I find that like training dogs, like I, I don't have a kid, but like it is similar to raising your kid. And I don't think that there's anyone at the grocery store that's going to come up to you and tell you that you're doing everything wrong or unless it was something extreme, of course. But like it, it is like parenting where you are trying to teach your dog to be what you want them to be. But who's to say you're doing something wrong by getting from point A to point B this way versus this way? Like People just need to be respectful of other people's choices and your dog, your choice. Like it's just other people's opinions. Everyone will always have an opinion, but you have to do what's best for you and what's best for your dog. And then that's, that's the end all. I love it. You're just literally coming up with t-shirt slogan after t-shirt slogan. Like, your dog, your way. <laughs> your dog, your choice. <laughs> I'm glad those will be the t-shirts as opposed to the other horrific things I've said. The dog orgy one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to be the person to trademark dog orgy. <laughs> and yet it suits you so well. <laughs>
Okay, so now we've kind of discussed like a lot of the different types of dogs. We've learned that you have a very soft spot for pitties. Um, I personally know that you have a soft spot for goldens and you have two shepherd mixes. So what is the future? Like, do you feel, because you will get another dog. You absolutely will. Absolutely will. So I think that, are you going to go for another shepherd mix? Like what is your, now you've had, because you've had so many different experiences with so many different kinds of dogs and you obviously have variously formed opinions are there ones that you would be like oh it'd be cool to to kind of invite one of those into my into my home and that's something that I kind of want to get into so these shepherd mixes like I I do love shepherds but I never thought I would own one I just keep accidentally adopting them (laughs) and even when I got Coco Guinness was three years old and as you know like I wanted to adopt an older dog that would teach Guinness more of the ropes I wanted like a pity that had one tooth and death breath. That was my dream was just to get a really old, you know, like the really old dogs when you pet them and there's like a layer of film on your hands. Like they're just, they're the greatest thing ever. They don't need to walk. They need to roll. Like they're just, that's what I wanted. And instead I signed up to be a foster parent and Chris went to Duncan to go visit his parents for three hours. And that's when I filled out the application. And an hour later, Coco walks up my stairs and I was like, well, this is a five month old, what they told me, husky mix. So that was instant. No, absolutely not. I'll be fine. I didn't want a female dog. I didn't want another shepherd. The fact that they said husky, I was like, I can't. That's just too much energy. And then Chris and I went out the next day and bought her leash that said, adopt me, adopt me, adopt me. And then that night we sent the rescue an email saying, yeah, we're going to keep her forever. Wow, that leash really did some damage. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, so effective. Absolutely recommend the leash. We did. We did adopt. So, and they actually emailed me back and were like, you haven't even done like the foster to adopt long enough to keep her. (laughs) You need to wait longer. So I am no longer on the foster list out of choice because I will keep every dog. But yeah, like it's it's just accidental shepherd adoptions, but I don't regret it. I have learned so much from shepherds. But now I don't know if I could own a really sensitive breed because I'm so used to like barking orders and it being very short and stern. I've always wanted a Bernese Mountain Dog, but I don't think I could get one, just lifespan and the medical issues. But I've been, that was my goal for 2023 is to manifest a Bernese Mountain Dog in my life that someone else has to deal with most of the heartbreak. I want one so freaking bad but I'm not mentally stable enough to have a heartbreak breed right now (laughs) so I can't get a Bernese Mountain Dog but I would die for one and same with a English Mastiff oh my god absolutely take my second life that's those dogs I would die for I do think my next dog will be a pity I have always wanted a beefcake it'll be very different than the shepherd mixes but they have always had friends in their, well, like I say friends, but like dog friends in their lives that are pities, like Juniper, sweet baby Juniper. Flo and I, well, and Taylor's good friend and has the most perfect house hippo in the entire world. She's like on her way to being the, like, she's still got like three teeth. So she's not the one tooth senior pity yet, but she is the most perfect little alien baby in the entire world. And I want a juniper more than anything, except minus the millions of dollars a month in medical bills. 
Yeah, well done, Anne, by the way. A little shout out for affording Juniper. <laughs> Anne's also a fellow dog walker. And yeah, she's definitely one of the reasons I want a house hippo exactly like her. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I have to say, I, I don't think I would get another shepherd mix just because I do feel like I got both spectrums of it. Like I said, like with Guinness being a bit brainless, but so happy-go-lucky. And Coco is, she's pretty sensitive, but she's incredibly smart and incredibly true to like the shepherdy nature that I would really want to challenge myself with something different. So I know it's not a breed, but I'm just going to, my final answer is beefcake. <laughs> final answer locked in. <laughs> beefcake. <laughs> got it. So we've kind of talked about like what your goals are personally, aka beefcake for the future. Do you have, do you have business goals? Do you have things that you are aiming towards? What is Once Upon a Trail's goals for 2023? Obviously, I'm not going to make you recite your five-year plan, but are there things that you are aiming towards? Are there things like this is obviously your baby as far as a company goes? What are your thoughts kind of going into the future? Like, do you want to like kind of go into a different direction or are you very happy hiking or what are the things that you kind of want to go towards? I do appreciate you thinking that I have a five-year plan. I don't even have like a two-week plan, but <laughs> I'm very, very, very happy with the dog walking. I think that's what I would stick with because like, I thought about dog training, but I like that I get the dogs with the foundation and that I get to see dogs the very best day ever. Like, me rolling up in my stinky van, like I said, like they just get so excited. And that makes my day every single day that like I get to become best friends with strangers' dogs <laughs> and I get to go take them on adventures with their friends. Like it's just such a fun experience. And even on the days where I'm like mopey, I don't want to get out of bed. The first thing I see is a dog so happy that I'm alive. Like it's just the best feeling in the world when a dog is all of a sudden like, dancing at their front door, like screaming because you're there, just like losing their minds because they're so happy to see you. That is definitely my favorite part about the dog industry is just how much unconditional love the dogs have. And I think I get to see that in its full spectrum by dog hiking versus seeing them only to like fix an issue that they're having or trying to like lay a foundation. I love being able to exercise with them and have fun with them. So I don't at this point, at least see myself changing the direction of what I'm doing. I'd like to have a bit, a few more hikes eventually. But beyond that, honestly, like I'm just, I'm really enjoying the process and seeing how things are progressing. I'm loving meeting new dogs, but the fact that I have had some consistent packs for a while now is really rewarding. Like the dogs all just like they become best friends and they're so excited to see each other. So that when I do add a new client, it's just like the one new dog that's being integrated into something that's already working so well. And then I can focus on my intention, like all my attention on getting that dog into the program. Honestly, I, I don't think I would, I would change anything. I like the way things are going and I'm just incredibly happy with it. That's so amazing. And like, honestly, I think like, again, if there are any listeners in Victoria, I absolutely do recommend Sarah. She is my always number one recommendation for dog walking on the West Shore. I mean, I'm saying this, are you taking new clients right now? I am for specific days. I'm going to be adding some more afternoon hikes. So there are some days of the week that I have flexibility that way. But yeah, I'm adding new clients and just adding them slowly so that I don't have like a pack of eight dogs that have never been on a pack hike before because I will cry. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the wise thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slowly but steadily. 
What would be your advice for people who are looking at getting into the dog industry and not really sure where to start? I mean, how did you start? What is some of your advice for people who are interested in maybe pursuing that but don't have the know-how or the confidence in where to start? I think you have to figure out what you like doing because there's some people who don't love like the actual hiking part of dog walking which then I don't think that dog walking will ever make you happy unless you want to do private walks, which there's totally an industry for. Like people do need a private walk or figure out like what it is you like doing. Like some people like you and Taylor, for example, you guys love projects and you like seeing something to completion where training is absolutely perfect for both of you because you have a starting point and an end point. And there's a million ways to get to that end point, And you guys are really good with that gray area. So I think people like that, like people who like seeing results go into training. It totally depends on the person. I find that I like the dog portion more than I like working with people and like completely separate. Like I've, I've worked like for like mental health sort of stuff with only people, no dogs. And I found that I'm just way happier just with dogs where like training I find is more it's way more about the person as opposed to it is about the dog because you're working with that person and like you can teach their dog absolutely everything but it's about the consistency at home it's about working with people where I definitely prefer being alone in the forest singing to my dogs doing embarrassing shit with no audience that's where I like to do it so it's just whatever you like to do outside of the dog portion. Obviously, if you're getting into the dog industry, you have to have a love for dogs. And then beyond that, figure out how how you'd make yourself happier. That's definitely true. I think that, I mean, Taylor and I definitely like problems. I think more than solutions, which is which is really the issue. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I did pack hiking for quite a long time. And I did really like the fact that you could kind of get out with the dogs with a pack and it would just be you, the dogs, whatever bullshit was going to happen that day and the woods like that. There's something very like it is all on me. And there is something almost empowering about that responsibility, about that freedom, because you're like, I fucking got this. And I'm the only, even if I don't like tough fucking shit on me, because like, I still got to do it. Right. So it's like, it's a way to, I really did learn a lot of accountability and a lot of confidence, honestly, by just having my, my own self to rely upon in the woods with a dog. And I think that that is really something that can be very beneficial in getting into the dog industry is just kind of building that confidence and building that awareness of body language. I mean, Taylor and I were speaking the other day about how we both started in daycare settings and how as much of a shit show that was, shout out to anyone listening who I worked with back then, <laughs> as much of a shit show that that was, it really did teach us how to handle a shit storm. Like it really did kind of go through that. And I think like, again, not naming names, but I think everybody kind of has those experiences when you do work with dogs. And I'm sure with other careers too, it's just, this is the only one that I know where you kind of get thrown in the deep end a little bit and just kind of have to swim or not. And I think that hiking definitely has the potential to bring that sink or swim out in you, especially like as someone new in the industry. And I think that just such an adventure and it just is such a cool experience. And I will always love my hiking days and my time out in the woods <laughs> and just, there's nothing. And plus you don't have to go to the gym. And like, if I don't have to go to the gym, that's a pretty fucking good week. Like personally, just because. Absolutely. 
you know, like, <laughs> I just don't go to the gym, people, okay? <laughs> but at least you have a solid excuse. The other thing in the dog industry, because I always forget, I'm just basically saying there's either training or dog walking. But the other huge thing that people can get into, which there is a high need for, is grooming. And that's one thing that I personally couldn't do. But I can promise you, there's not a lot of dogs that are walking themselves to the groomer and being like, best day ever. Thank God I got these nails did, got my hair done. But there are a lot of people that absolutely love grooming. And it is such a good industry to get into. And there's quite a few actually out there that are just so good at what they do. I'm very envious of them and very happy for them. But it's that's one thing that I personally couldn't do because first off, I'm a perfectionist. And second, with anxiety, I would second guess everything. Like every little hair clip I did, I'm like, they're going to hate it. They're going to hate it. They hate this. And also, I would just make every dog into a dinosaur. Give them all that like nice like stegosaurus on the back. <laughs> Your dogs have short hair anyways. I would bald them and just give them a back mullet. You just leave Whiskey's Ridge. <laughs> I'm doing everyone a favor by not doing grooming. I'm telling you that right now. I love you, but 100% you are doing people a favor by not going into this career. I mean, Sarah once bolded Chris, her fiance. <laughs> I think you made the right choice by not going into grooming. <laughs> So yeah, so moral of the story is, is that if you don't maybe make the best hair choices within your own family, at least get some training if you were going to go into grooming. <laughs> okay, are there any last thoughts that you kind of want to leave with people? Are there any last things that you kind of want to put out there? Um, it can be about your business. It can be about just some final thoughts on the dog industry or some things that you would like some some words of wisdom, if you will, some pearls, some little droplets of wisdom from Gaffney that you would like to leave people with. Is there anything that you would like to say? I think my biggest thing to tell people like from a dog walker to the general dog loving public is our favorite clients and our favorite people, they don't have the perfect dog. They don't have the right way, but they are willing to listen. And that is the biggest thing because if you are super anti say e-car, anti-muzzle, we can still work with that. But being open-minded and letting us talk through things and even just people being willing to work on their dog is the absolute greatest gift you can give any person in the dog industry is just willing to listen and educate and put in the work. It is the most gratifying thing for us. Like I've had people that I've had to be like, hey, your dog is pretty awful on leash. And they're like, I don't even know where to start with that. And the fact that I have that knowledge that I can give to you and they're willing to listen to it, it makes me so happy. And I, and it's not like I'm like, oh, like screw them, like their dog's horrible on leash. I'm like, they cared about what I had to say about their dog. And they also were just willing to make a change. And same with if I'm ever like, hey, by the way, like your dog was really bad about jumping on other dogs' backs, which obviously can cause issues. And then the next week they're like, hey, like when we went to the dog park this week, we made sure we shut it down when he was jumping on dogs' backs. And then that whole hike, I have him and he did it maybe once where I'm like, I feel so flattered that you listened and that you cared and that like 
we are both on the same page that we want the best for your dog. We want your dog to be the best dog that they can be. Whatever way we get there, whether it's through purely positive, whether it's through balance training, no matter what it has to be, the fact that you're willing to listen and put in the work, there is no greater gift that any client or dog owner could give us than just being open-minded and trusting the process, honestly. Nobody has a perfect dog. We don't expect perfection, but we are so grateful when you are interested in bettering your dog's life. So I think that's my nugget. It's just open-minded. I think that's the very valuable nugget. That was definitely like a legit pearl of wisdom. (laughs) And I appreciate you sharing that with everyone because I think people worry so much about, oh, my dog does this wrong and my dog does this wrong. And like, oh, my dog's not going to be good at this because of this. But it truly does come down to your willingness as an owner to be open, like you said, and to be open to education and to kind of put in that effort. And it all goes back to training and just having that open-mindedness where you're like, I have shit to work on because we all have shit to work on. I have shit to work on. You have shit to work on. Everybody does. And I think just that ability to be vulnerable and to be open to change and to be open on working on things and different methods maybe of of trying to get to where you want to be. I think that really is the most important thing. And I think it's good for people to know that because it doesn't, It like Sarah said, it doesn't come down to your dog's behavior necessarily. It's about your willingness to work on that and your willingness to kind of go through the struggle and to trust the process, like you said. And I think that really is what it comes down to. And I think so many people are so afraid and bringing it back to those roots of, you know, if you try, that is all we need. You just need to show that you give a shit and that you are open to it. And that is it. There's no judgment. There's no worry of, you know, kind of being like, oh, your dog's a shit dog because there are no such things. There's just people who aren't necessarily as willing to open themselves up to that change and to that growth. So I think that that is a really important message to leave everybody with. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. I know that social interactions are not either of our favorite things, but I really, really do appreciate you coming on and kind of going through all of this with me because I do get so many questions about dog walking and about getting people's dogs into that situation. And I think it is really good to have that insight. Do you want to tell us your socials, what your website is, what your Instagram handle is, kind of let people know where they can find you? So my business is Once Upon a Trail. So it's onceuponatrail.ca. And my Instagram handle is onceuponatrailyyj. Thank you all so much for listening and tuning in again. We really, really appreciate it. I will, of course, tag all of Sarah's socials in case she's forgotten the actual wording of them. So you can click on them and have a look. Uh, She does dog walking on the West Shore in Victoria. If you are open, she is taking new clients and I absolutely, absolutely 1000% recommend. Thank you so much and happy birthday, Taylor, because the day that we're recording this, it is her birthday. And as Sarah said age really is a thing apparently and uh (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the oldie goldies taylor so yeah thank you guys all so much for listening so much and we will be back in two weeks with another guest uh taylor will be back as well so you won't just have to deal with me okay kind regards bad dog moms (laughs) 